This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this upcoming show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, today we're going to be uh, starting a new uh, season here at UC Irvine. Uh, students just came back. Uh, we are on the quarter system, so um, students uh, start late here at this UC um, as well as some others uh, that are on the quarter system. And so today we have an exciting guest with us, uh, a former alum, a f- I mean a current alum, former student of the Social Ecology uh, Law and Criminology Law and Society program will grace us with his presence. And he's an advocate for the community as well as uh, he's currently running for the office of U.S. Senate, um, the seat held by Barbara Boxer and contested by the uh, former head of uh, HP, uh, I think it's Carly Fiorina. Um, So we're going to hear about that race uh, coming up um, with our guest, uh, Dwayne Roberts. And you'll meet him um, shortly after our station ID again, and our PSA. Uh, This is Dan Zhang with Subversity here on KUCI. Uh, The opinions of the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. I hope you had a nice week, and uh, I'm enjoying the hot weather. Um, Today is ultra hot, and... uh, I hope we will not add to the heat in our discussion, <laughs> or maybe we should, um, or maybe we'll cool things down with our conversation. Uh, so this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The um, opinions on the show are not necessary. Those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. Um, this is Dan Zhang with Subversity. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Today we have our guest uh, with us in this, uh, the studio, uh, Dwayne Roberts, who's a UCI uh, graduate, and he is running for the seat of Barbara Boxer, um, currently uh, the incumbent in the U.S. Senate. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you for inviting me, Dan. Uh, why do you want to run? Well, there's a number of reasons. One, uh, I've, one of the motivating factors of entering this race was I was very uh, disappointed in the so-called health care reform bill that President Obama signed into law. Uh, I, uh, the way I look at it is, is that it's, it's really a bailout of the private health insurance industry. Uh, I'm in favor of a single-payer Medicare for All type health care system, so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to run to bring out that particular issue. Another is, to be quite frank with you, uh, given my experiences, I've Quite frankly, can do. I, I think I can do a better job than uh, either uh, the current incumbent or any of her challengers. 
I mean, they're rich people. Uh, do you think you can do better than some rich person? Ah, <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, don't they have connections that could um, help them? Well, that's true. But the thing is, is that uh, I I have a lot of connections with people in the community and across the state. So, for sure. Oh, you, you've been a community activist in Anaheim, right? Yes, for a long time. Yes, and uh, you also uh, co-published this uh, newspaper called Orange Coast Voice. That's right. Um, and uh, why um, why is it necessary to go to Washington? To, I mean, I I, I hear that um, all politics begin at home or in your backyard, I suppose. Um, but why would you one want to go to Washington to do any of this? Why not? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, people uh, at all levels, uh, sh- people who have who are progressive politically, should be involved at all levels in trying to affect change. So, this is one way of doing it. You know, the Tea Party has gotten a lot of press recently uh, as a third party, and uh, maybe splitting the Republican Party uh, inside out. Um, do you see your candidacy as? Uh, affecting uh, Democrats the same way? <laughs> and Are you going to draw away voters that would normally vote for a boxer? Well, personally, I hope to draw away voters who basically vote either Republican or Democrat. Huh. The reality is, uh, for the most part, many of the people who are going to vote for me are people who don't traditionally uh, vote for Democrat or Republican anyway, so I'm offering them an, an alternative. But to be quite frank with you, I'd uh, hope to defeat both of them. You're the Green Party candidate, and what is the registration like uh, of Green Party membership, of Green Party members uh, in your, in this district? I'm not exactly. I think there are about seven thousand registered Greens in Orange County that I last recall. Hmm. How many in in that in the area that you would uh, represent? Well, it'll be the state of California, so that would roughly I think is about a hundred. Little over a hundred thousand. I'm, I'm not exactly certain what the numbers are. I think it maybe as up as high as one hundred and twenty thousand. So this is not just a local race, right? It's right. a statewide race. That's correct. How do you get around since you don't drive anymore? Well, basically, I use mass transit. Uh, I went to Sacramento. I used wow. I used a, a bus. I've uh, been traveling to different locations using Amtrak train. Uh, I came here today using the OCTA bus system. How long did it take you from Huntington Beach? Anaheim. Anaheim. Oh. Roughly, I'd say about an hour and a half, a little more than that. Oh, huh. It wasn't that too bad. I hope it was air-conditioned. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> on today, especially. I've been on Oh, absolutely. Um, do you see that uh, their priorities are wrong when the government seems to be putting more money into uh, rebuilding roads and freeways? Uh, or, or I guess Obama would call this infrastructure uh, stimulus plan, maybe, uh, rather than in public transit. Well, I, I'm not opposed necessarily to rebuilding roads and freeways, but reality is is that we need to spend more money on mass transit. Uh, by spending more money on mass transit, among other things, we reduce our dependency on fossil fuels and uh, uh, affect or mitigate the impact of global warming. Oh, wow. And... Um, how about other, you know, we're on a college campus and you went to school here. Um, what, what are your position, what is your position on higher education, for instance? Well, in my opinion, I think that uh, higher education should be free. Uh, that's like that in other countries, like in Europe especially. 
How would you fund that? Well, basically, uh, I would fund that by immediately withdrawing all U.S. troops from Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. Use all the cost savings to ensure that every person, every academically qualified student in this country, regardless of immigration status, by the way, uh, is eligible to receive a tuition-free public education at a technical trade school, college, or university of their choosing. You know, it seems like the California plan, or whatever they call it, uh, is no longer a California plan because the UC, for instance, is now trying to admit more foreign students because they bring in more m- tuition money. <laughs> 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 I think it's over 30000 uh a year right now for a foreign student uh-huh. or out-of-state student to come to UC to study, which is probably as much as a private university. And they're talking about privatizing the business schools on the various UCs. Uh, UCLA is uh, going ahead with it, I guess. And uh, the, our law school, of course, is a private school, although it's free for the first uh, first group of students that are right. coming, that came and then maybe half price for next year's. Uh, so there are some ways to mitigate the privatization, I guess. But uh, how do you see... Um, uh, this working out. I mean, you you mentioned uh, undocumented students. Do you support the Dream Act? Well, I haven't lobbied for or against the Dream Act, but the primary purpose of the Dream Act basically is to get undocumented workers to enlist in the armed services, so that they'll become expendable cannon fodder in U.S. or America's imperial wars overseas. Uh, I don't think that somebody should require be that there should be a requirement that somebody be list in, enlisted in the armed forces to receive a free uh, public university education. I think that anybody should be eligible for the law, as long as that they, have, that they are academically qualified. There's so many, um, there are quite a lot of restrictions right now, I think, in, you know, in the existing DREAM Act that was uh, being discussed last week, uh, be, uh, that you have to serve so many years in high school, I mean, be in high school for so many years, and also in college so many years. So uh, it doesn't actually apply to everybody. Right, right. Well, the Democrats sweeten it up a bit. I mean, we understand the DREAM Act was originally introduced under a Republican administration, and, uh, but they sweeten it up a bit to make it more palatable to the public. But reality is the DREAM Act pretty much is, is to help uh, increase the number of people enrolled uh, to join the military. Because this was attached to the military funding bill. Right. Um, I think it originally it wasn't attached to that, right? I mean, it was a separate... Bill. I think originally, or at least the Democrats recently, yes, I think it was attached separately, but then they attached it to the um, the defense bunnies bill. The defense bill, as you had mentioned, correct? Did they do that so that they they, they thought it would uh, increase the chance of being passed, I guess? Probably so, yes. Because yeah. they want to portray the Republicans as being anti-military. What do you think of generally about this whole issue of... Uh, money and campaigns, you know. How much have you spent uh, on this? Right now, I estimate that I've probably spent less than $1,000 on my campaign, and most wow. of it's been for transit. Uh, I don't need $33 million to wage an effective campaign. All I need is a uh, $33 a month Internet account. Uh, I've spent, uh, I mean, I've probably sent out messages that have reached upwards of a million people during the past month. And uh, so the thing is, is that people need to start uh, rethinking their concept of elections. This idea that, you know, you're a viable candidate only if you raise millions of dollars uh, needs to be discarded. Even public um, radio isn't always open to you, huh? 
I know that they are, your opponents are being uh, being hosted on KPCC uh, in a sponsored uh, debate, so called. Yep. Uh, with um, with the sponsorship also of Lao Pinyong, and uh, coming up this week. That's correct. And did they invite you? No, I have not been contacted by K- KPCC at all. I've had friends contact them, and supposedly we will be interviewed at a later date about our candidacies. But so far, KPCC has not, or or nor Law Pinyon, for that matter, has uh, none of them have contacted me. I think that's the fate of uh, third-party candidates uh, in history, maybe, uh, or in recent history. The two-party system seems kind of entrenched. Well, that doesn't mean that it's permanently entrenched. Uh, There are ways in which we can overcome these issues. The Internet is uh, probably one of the most vital tools we have uh, right now to to get our message out there. Are more more people joining the Greens uh, as opposed to joining the Republicans or the Democrats? Actually, more people are becoming decline the state. Ah. That is the largest group of uh, registered voters in, in the country right now, or at least starting to emerge that way. Uh, in respect to the Green Party, uh, I have noticed that uh, our registration numbers have been pretty stable. Uh, in respect to the other political parties, they have been, uh, uh, other so-called, quote, third parties, they've been recently on the decline. I know the media had finally caught on to the fact that Orange County uh, Republican registration has gone below 50%. So it's no longer Reagan territory, I guess, um, or Republican territory. Um, do you sense that? Well, things have changed quite a bit. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've been in Orange County probably for about 37, 38 years, and the politics have changed, definitely. So I, I would concur with you that this is no longer Reagan country. I mean, the Reagan um, uh, movement started with coffee clatches, I believe, where people met in uh, rich people's homes and uh, had coffee and talked about how bad things were. Um, do you think that's something to emulate? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, yes, the people who are very progressive, we need to start talking to each other and meeting in each other's homes because that's, that's where movements begin. For sure. Um, Yet people don't, you know, there are too many uh, sects, I guess you call them. Uh, in the 60s, there were a lot of sectarian <laughs> politics, I mean. And, uh, I mean, we're not a religion, but it right. might as well, you know, politics might as well become a religion for some people. And they break into different uh, divisions. And uh, how is it, how would you try to build people uh, to cross boundaries and to reach out, I suppose. Probably emphasize on common themes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That would probably be the best bit. And you're right, there's a lot of divisions, especially in the left in this country. I try to avoid, I mean, I have my views and opinions on various issues. I'm very pragmatic and try to avoid sectarianism. So, but the best bet would be to work together on common issues, common goals. Would you describe yourself as uh, in ideological terms at all? I would describe myself ideologically. I'm actually much farther than the left than people think. But uh, I'm pragmatic. I realize that uh, if I go out and campaign using certain types of terminology that most of the public wouldn't understand what I was talking about, given the fact that in this country there's been a lot of um, uh, repression uh, against the left. And uh, people aren't very class, well, they're class conscious, but they just don't understand uh, how to express it in many respects. So, I mean, there is socialism for the rich here. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I no lack why, of it. 
Yeah, I don't know why socialism is a dirty word when the, the rich practice it for themselves. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, you know, when people, uh, uh, I hear people say that we have a free enterprise system, uh, I kind of laugh at that. I mean, especially here in Orange County, a lot of people were employed by the defense industry. Most people don't seem to realize is that, uh, especially the aerospace industry, most people don't seem to realize that the whole entire aerospace industry in this country was literally built from the ground up using American taxpayer dollars. So uh, same thing goes on with other t- uh, industries, computers. I mean, IBM originally was not interested in uh, building computers until the Pentagon approached them and asked them to, and said they would fund them if they would build a, com- a computer system in the 50s. So you're right. There's, no, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of socialism for the rich in this country. Let's put it that way. Uh, I've had on the show a subversity. Are you listening to subversity with Dan Zhang on KUCI here? And we're talking with Dwayne Roberts, who's a candidate for the U.S. Senate in California. I've had on this show uh, Bill Ayers, uh, who um, I interviewed in 2002, I believe, when his book came out, uh, called um, something about being underground and uh, with the weathermen. And um, it was picked up right before the last uh, presidential election because I repl- we aired that show, and he said that on my show that I'm 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 more an I'm more an I think I'm more an anarchist and a, than a Marxist or something. And a Marxist or something. So he used kind of coded words that uh, that led to the right wing getting really freaked out <laughs> um, because that's you know because of that controversy. Sarah Palin had said that um, Obama had been palling around with terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you, who who do you pal around with? Who do I pal around with? Well, uh, as of recently, I've been focusing most of my energy on the campaign, but. Most of my experiences or most of my dealings in the community have been working along with other activists that have been uh, fighting for immigrants' rights, that we've been protesting the Minuteman Project, that we've been involved in um, various issues. I've been in a lot of, let me put it this way, I've been in a lot of different struggles, So, but a lot of my uh, focus has been on uh, defending immigrant rights. And that, that in particular was in Costa Mesa, right? About that's especially well, especially that's one area. That's yeah, one true. Area, yeah, and right now there's uh, the candidates there are trying to uh, the candidates for Congress, I believe, um, are trying to out out bash each other uh, about who's being more supportive of immigrant rights. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I haven't been paying too much attention to the, the that race, the, the races in that area lately. But given the politics, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, and you yourself came out with a press release last week on um, on the Democrats uh, being <laughs> against uh, being actually anti-immigrant. What do you mean by that? Well, the thing is, is that when I, as an activist, and when I started becoming first involved in immigrant rights, I noticed that all the Republican Party politicians that I was protesting, and they were basing a lot of their laws, their policies that were first introduced by Democratic Party politicians. And I thought that's a very interesting contradiction because the, 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 the right in this country views the Democrats as being all for amnesty and, 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 and even making all these hallucinatory comments about wanting to help Mexicans reclaim the United States and all the rest of that stuff. And people on the left have this perception of this Democrats 
as Republicans all being the bad guys and the racists and so forth. And I do agree. Republicans, uh, not all, but many of them are racist. But this contradiction is interesting because, you know, people don't understand that some of the most leading anti-immigrant legislation, that, especially in recent years, uh, that has been passed both at the state and even the congressional and even the presidential level, has all been advanced and forwarded by the Democratic Party. And that's something that I wanted to point out, is that the Democrats are not, if, if you are supportive of immigrant rights, the Democrats aren't necessarily your friend. In some cases, they've been far more aggressive than the Republicans in pushing for anti-immigrant legislation. How do you um, convince people of that? Though? Well, very simply, you just lay out all the facts. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that every Democrat out there is... Um, anti-immigrant, and not necessarily every Republican is either. There are different wings or factions within these parties. So, but I mean, the, you know, the statement that I released in a very controversial statement, but so far, there's not a single person who has come up to and said, what I've written is wrong. I think they corrected one of the names of a sponsor, I think, of a bill you mentioned. Oh, I, uh, the only thing I could do is that there was a minor correction, in which was not that much of a importance. I got confused between uh, two Alquists, which were related by marriage. Uh, Alfred Alquist was a state senator who, injured, who authored the bill, which SB 976, as I recall it, which stripped undocumented workers of their driver's license in the state of California. Uh, I mistook, mistook him for his wife, who is currently a state senator and is serving in the same district, although he is now deceased. But that was a, the thing I brought up is everybody talks about how bad Pete Wilson is. And I, I, don't, I don't deny that Pete Wilson was bad. But what people don't understand is that the only reason why Pete Wilson was able to uh, strip undocumented workers of their right to obtain a driver's license in the state was because the Democratic Party, which not only authored the bill, but controlled both houses of the state legislature, they gave it to him on a silver platter. And <laughs> he would not have been able to do some of the things that he was able to do if it wasn't for the Democratic Party. And that can, that's the same thing in a number of different circumstances as well, if you want to talk about that. But that's not surprising given that you know, the, these two parties are in power often, right? So they're the ones to author bills, and they have to compromise with the other party. That's true, and also they represent different business interests. I mean, if you look at the Republicans, despite all this heat, overheated rhetoric about how bad immigration is, the irony is sometimes, and I'm not, try, I'm not trying to tell people that, uh, who are listening, I'm not trying to say that the Republicans are better than Democrats, or Democrats are better than Republicans, but it's interesting, it's very ironic how the Republicans traditionally have been in favor of legislation uh, or policies that have actually been more lax enforcement of immigration law than Democrats had, and that's partly because the Republicans are linked to business interests that are dependent on cheap labor among other things, not to say the Democrats aren't either, but they reflect different wings, factions of the business communities. Basically, it's like what uh, one political science is, that, poli that the Democrats and Republicans uh, are, are, represent the interest of shifting coalitions of investors. It seems that, you know, if the third parties get together and, uh, you know, the third parties on the left, for instance, get together, then they could get more voters. Yes, I, I don't disagree with you on that. 
And just to let you know that I have been uh, working with uh, my uh, colleague in the Peace and Freedom Party in respect to uh, trying to uh, get access to some of these debates. We'll be holding a a joint press conference outside KPCC studios on uh, Wednesday, criticizing for criticizing the fact that we we have been excluded. Oh, that's interesting because KPCC is seen as this, uh, you know, icon of uh, progressive uh, public radio. Well, the irony is, if you take a look at who is on the board of directors of uh, of Cal- Southern Cal, well, let me put it this way: Southern California Public Radio is the entity that operates KPCC. And the people who serve on the board of directors of Southern California Radio happen to be mostly uh, rich white business people. So uh, these pair of people don't really represent uh, the majority of their listeners uh, and a majority of people who support public radio. Does, uh, the, does the Green Party uh, have more members than the Peace and Freedom Party? At this time, yes. What's what switch? I guess suppose at the beginning they had they've been around for a long time. Yes, longer time. Yeah. So do you th- do you see more people? You, you said there are a lot more people signing up as uh, uh, undeclared. I guess right. <laughs> uh, how about people that are signing up directly t- to the Green Party? Do they come from this uh, this that group of people? Are they coming from disillu- being disillusioned with the existing two party system, or are they? new voters I think some of the people who have joined either the Peace and Freedom Party or the Green Party have been people who are dis- people on the left who have been disillusioned with uh, the two party system I was a Peace and Freedom Party member at one time the reason why I joined the Green Party was because one Ralph Nader was running for president and two the Green Party was able to it was not just a one state entity it was able to get other uh, parties operating in other states as well. So I felt that uh, this was a, a very viable, burgeoning electoral uh, political movement. And it qualified for the ballot, right? And um, because it had so many members and a minimum number of members in each state. Yes. So that's important. That's very important. Do you? S- I mean, people think of the Green Party as an environmental party. Uh, are there other issues beyond the environment? There's everything from <laughs> workers' rights to yeah. immigrant rights to opposition to corporate welfare to... I mean, yeah, there's a perception is, is that the Greens are predominantly an environmental party. And, in fact, there are probably people who joined it for that particular reason. But I'm in... You know, I basically joined the party because of... At the time, it was Ralph Nader was running for president. But there's a lot of other issues. So, yes, it's not just an environmental movement. Uh, we're talking with Dwayne Roberts, a uh, candidate for, on the Green Party uh, ticket for U.S. Senator in California. Uh, this is Dan Sang with Sophisti here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and also KUCI.org on the web, uh, simulcasting right now. So you can go to your radio and or TV, uh, PC and s- listen in. Um, talking about other uh, proje- other topics beyond uh, environment, um, you were active in uh, fighting police abuse. Uh, do you think that has improved uh, uh, police-citizen um, relations, has improved over the last 10 years? 
Well, in my opinion, not necessarily. You always have to keep an eye on the police. If you aren't watching them, they'll turn around and go back to their old, dirty work. I'm not trying to say that all police officers are bad, uh, but the reality is is that you always have to maintain a constant watch on them. reality is is that the police are there to serve the interests of the rich people who live in that particular community. They're not there to serve the interests of the working class. Let's put it that way. Is that um, true if the working class end up on the city council? There's a lot of restrictions on what people on a city council can do. I think that there's influence that people can, can, can exert upon the police department. But, I mean, the, in this state, police have an enormous amount of power. They have all kinds of rights. That I mean, I can't, for example, if there was a situation where... Uh, there was a, 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 a case that I wanted to examine of a particular officer, I would have no rights to examine their records. Now, I think maybe what may be useful uh, or, uh, is maybe setting up civilian review boards or police review boards, but even those have limitations. Yeah, uh, I was glad you mentioned uh, police review boards because some cities do uh, have tried to set those up. Uh, and... I mean, it seems to me that they only work if it's really uh, community-based. Yeah, because basically... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I mean, uh, I mean uh, unless... I mean, if, otherwise it's just picked... The, the, the membership well, is just picked by the... What they'll do uh, is they'll just pick... Yeah, that's right. They'll just pick uh, people who are already sympathetic with the police and will always agree with whatever the outcome is in respect to internal police investigation. I mean, the reality is... the best way to fight the police is to set up community groups and basically keep an eye on them. And when misconduct does occur, and believe me, it occurs quite a bit, to publicize it and to do it on a mass scale. And I've done this several times. And uh, so the point, but that's the only way that which you can control them. But the reality is, is that the moment you stop watching the moment you just aren't paying attention, they fall back into their old ways of business. How about the fact that they are now putting um, uh, what the, they, we used to call INS agents, uh, ICE agents, I guess, in the police uh, departments, on the jails, I mean, sorry, in the jails. Uh, the sh- county sheriff department works with the immigration people and try to check the immigration status of people that are arrested. Uh, do you think that should stop? Well, I am a, uh, my personal experience is I actually am opposed to these programs, and I, I actually could tell you how bad they are in the sense that I wa- worked at one time for the Orange County Superior Court. I was a courtroom administrator, courtroom, I'm sorry, courtroom assistant for a domestic violence court that operated out of the Lamoureux Justice Center for about a year, year and a half, and um most of the cases we dealt with were misdemeanor domestic violence offenses. Most of the people that we dealt with, the jurisdictions that we covered, were Santana, Orange, Tustin, and some surrounding communities, a small new incorporated section. Even Highway Patrol, ironically, was under our jurisdiction. Most of the people that were arrested were working-class Mexicans. There might have been some Central Americans as well, but they were mostly working-class Mexican males. Some of them were undocumented. So what happened is, is that when these persons were arrested, they're brought to the Orange County Jail, and they were identified as 
being undocumented by the INS. Well, then it was INS, now it's ICE. But the INS agents that were assigned to screen them. Okay, But what, what happened is that they would have their court hearing, and then these guys would be deported after they served you know, 20 days or 5 days or whatever, however it worked. These guys would be deported out of the country. Understand that, now I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in favor of people beating up their wives. And a lot of these offenses were minor. That doesn't, because they're minor doesn't mean they're, they're good. But this program, in my opinion, caused more harm than good. Because what would end up happening is that a lot of these males were the breadwinners of their families. They were the only persons that were employed. So if they had children, they had a wife, the, the rent still has got to be paid. The, the, the uh, um, children have to be taken care of. So what ended up happening is these poor persons would be forcibly removed out of the country, and these families would have nowhere to go. So the question comes to mind, and, and, I, and you know, this, this happened many times. It's not just once or twice. I saw basically families being destroyed by this program. So the question here is, is that, I mean, does, does, I mean does, is this really effective? Does it cause more harm than good? In my opinion, it does. One could conceivably argue that violent felons should be deported. You know, I'm not going to get into that argument, but the reality is most of the people that are apprehended are people who commit low-level offenses. And as far as I'm concerned, I do not think they should be deported uh, because they committed low-level offenses. Because as far as I'm concerned, it is more harmful to the community and to the families uh, of these uh, and to the loved ones. So and I've seen it for myself. I could give you many examples. That's for sure. Um, talking about low-level offenses, uh, are you in favor of this uh, proposition to decriminalize marijuana? Despite some of its flaws, I am fully in favor of Proposition 19, and primarily because I think it's going to send a uh, message to the uh, a shockwave throughout the entire political system. I think that it's going to show that uh, people are pretty much tired of the uh, so-called uh, well, I, I call it the phony baloney war on drugs. Uh, I think it's going to have a, a repercussions that are just going to uh, um, I mean, nationwide. Uh, I am in favor of fully repealing all federal laws which prohibit people from growing, distributing, and selling marijuana, unusing marijuana for medicinal, recreational, industrial purposes. People need to also understand is, is that What's important about the Senate race is that even if marijuana, to some degree, is legalized in the state, it is still illegal at the federal government level. So, although I seriously doubt the Obama administration or even a other administration is going to pick up trying to enforce, trying to arrest people at the street level for possessing marijuana because it's legal under federal law, the reality is is that the Fed still can affect what we do here. So uh, we need to, you know, if, if we're talking about legalizing at the state level, we also talk about legalizing at the federal level as well. So you're not just saying that because you lived through the 60s or 70s. No. <laughs> In fact, the irony is, is that I don't uh, use marijuana. Um, I've uh, inhaled but not smoked. What I mean by that is that I have been around friends who have uh, 
pulled out a joint and smoked it, but uh, I have taken no interest in uh, using marijuana or any drugs for that matter. Uh, definitely wouldn't use alcohol since it's more dangerous than marijuana. But where I, uh, my opinions on uh, drug legalization, well, particularly marijuana legalization, uh, a lot of the stuff uh, came from some of the stuff I was learning here when I was an undergraduate. So... You were a crim major, so that's right. Did you study legalization of, uh, you know, what do you call these? Uh, what do you call them? Uh, non uh, non something uh, laws, you know. I mean, I mean, drug laws. Yeah, I mean the drug drug policies. Uh, yeah, drug policies or other laws that really um, don't really harm people. I mean, don't. Oh, you're talking about like prostitution and, and, and all the consensual. Yeah, I mean, I'm in favor also of, of uh, at least decriminalizing prostitution too. I mean, uh, you're talking about also gambling offenses and all the rest of that stuff. So, right. But yeah, no, I did study. I mostly my studies were focused on drug policy, huh. uh, looking at different models that countries have pursued. Uh, I'm not necessarily in favor of legalizing harder drugs. I'm, I am in favor of drug law. Harm reduction policies, let's put it that way, that are pursued in places like Europe, for example. Uh, needle exchanges. Uh, there, there's other programs, too. I'm trying to think of them offhand. But it's the, the perfect candidate for legalization in this country, in my opinion, is marijuana. And as far as I'm concerned, it would uh, greatly benefit this country if we were to legalize it. Did you take classes by Judge Gray, then? I, uh, not Judge Gray. He was, I don't think he... But I did take a, um, a class by another judge, a drug policy class, ironically, who is uh, now a federal court judge. I think Carter, Judge David O'Carter. That's right. Uh huh. Oh wow. Yeah. Did, did, had took a class on uh, drug drug laws or drug policy. I can't remember. It was mostly dealing with the the, the federal and state laws yeah, dealing with drugs. Uh, trade, uh, drug trade, uh, something. Politics of the drug trade class. I Remember. took that class. It was many. I don't know if he's still teaching it. Yeah, it, yeah. but it was many years ago, and he was actually a very uh, good teacher. I've been in the class as a poli sci uh, librarian, I guess, uh, <laughs> and so he sometimes brings me in. Uh, but he was a very good instructor. Yeah, at the, the time he huge, was a, right? huh? I mean, I know when I went in one time, it was several hundred people. He was yeah. very. All I'm telling you is that he was a very good instructor, and. Uh, I had some, I'm not going to go into him, but I did have some interesting conversations with him about, you know, what goes on in real life, but it's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, um, talking about uh, policy and uh, politics, um, this uh, health bill that the Republicans are attacking um, and that Obama had uh, pushed through uh, Congress without the help of any Republicans, I guess, uh, what is flawed in that health bill? Well, I haven't, now, I, guess. I haven't had a chance to look at exactly what reasons the Republicans are opposed to it. I think they're capitalizing on widespread discontent over it yeah. because it's not what people perceived it to be. Uh, I think that people are pretty fed up or, or, or angry about that the Democrats didn't include what they thought would be a so-called, quote, public option, end quote, uh, my opinion is that that was just a way to scare the insurance industry to getting them to rally behind Obama, because after they rallied behind him, then all of a sudden he dropped the issue. I don't think the Obama administration was serious about it. Uh, I, my, they, I think the Republicans want to repeal the health care reform bill, so-called reform bill. Uh, they're, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I, uh, one of my uh, biggest uh, opposition were 
criticisms of the bill. It's basically it's a $500 billion uh, bailout or taxpayer-subsidized bailout of the private health insurance industry. If you carefully examine uh, uh, some of the backers or some of, of, of the, the reasons why uh, this, this law passed, in fact, a lot of it's because the private health insurance industry was suffering from a, decli- uh, a decline in customers. And the Democrats came to the rescue with this bill to force millions of people to buy their shoddy products and to uh, subsidize their profits to about a tune of about $500 billion over the next 10 years. It's very inefficient, very wasteful. In fact, I believe the Congressional Budget Office released a report. I remember reading about it. I haven't had time to read the report yet, but they basically criticized the Belford bill or said that, uh, is, uh, you know, it's going to cost us as much as if they did nothing. So... Uh, I'm for a universal single-payer Medicare for all type healthcare system. Uh, I favor driving the insurance private insurance industry out of business. To be quite frank with you, because now that you know, as this uh, new law goes into effect, the um, insurance companies are raising rates. Actually, mm-hmm. they're dropping, no- dropping coverage. You know? <laughs> There, there are no, there are no cost controls in the bill. I mean, basically, it, it gives insurance companies a free for all. I mean, I'm not saying everything in the bill is bad, but those little things that the Democrats do, and were just to sweeten it up, you know, it, it still doesn't make, doesn't change the fact that this is just a bailout of the private health insurance industry. And to be quite frankly, a lot of the money that's going to be spent is going to be spent on waste, inefficiency, and and profiteering. Yeah, I think part of the criticism was that the government is taking con- was was taking control. <laughs> it wasn't actually, but uh, it's giving it to the insurance companies. But the uh, government already runs Medicare, uh, so I mean, it's not like that's a new thing. And uh, no, that's true. And uh, also the uh, the examples of uh, Canada and the UK, I suppose, were trotted out, uh, arguing that people have to wait long time for some operation or whatever. <laughs> well, the first thing I think people need to understand, even under the existing health system, the federal government spends a lot of money on, I think it's like 60%, I don't want to be quoted on that exactly, but a, a lot of people don't realize that the government already has a lot of influence. But in reality, of course, the health care reform bill is more of the private insurance industry taking over the government rather than the other way, despite what the Republicans were claiming. Uh, in respect to uh, Canada and other nations, if you take a poll and ask them, do would they like uh, a healthcare system, their healthcare system model on the United States. <laughs> I think the numbers show that yeah, majority of people uh, do not want right. to emulate us, at least on that issue. But the other thing too, I think I'd be willing to say is that you mean there are no waits for trying to get healthcare in this country, and there are millions of people in this country who are not getting access to healthcare. And uh, I know that I myself had a health issue earlier this year. I don't have health insurance. I had to run around finding people. Uh, so the reality is, is that you know the, the system, you know, the, the, it's far worse than what you see. I, I mean, can like I said, you t- look at polls, and majority of the people in these other countries who have far better healthcare systems, they do not want to switch their systems to what, how the United States runs things, despite the. Uh, so-called, you know, like, uh, you know, our whatever, the technology that we had used, uh, that doctors use uh, here, the high advances uh, in the medical care, supposedly. 
Well, sometimes uh, what, what you've got is, is that you've got people buying too much of that equipment and too little patience to deal with it. That's a, that's a problem that's actually resolved in uh, uh, healthcare systems like in the UK, which are, are – and by the way, people need to understand, it's rather ironic, is, is that we have the equivalent of a public healthcare system for veterans. It's called the Veterans Administration. And its irony is that the Republicans never talk about uh, – well, they, they do sometimes, but they never talk about slashing funding for that program even though technically it's the closest thing to uh, uh, a, a public health service that we have in this country. But the thing is, is that there's a lot of inefficiency in this system because it's based on profit. And you have all these uh, uh, companies going out there and wanting to sell half a million dollar pieces of equipment to every doctor on the street when reality is is that uh, uh, we don't need all of that. We could actually do that by doing more planning. So, of course, that sparks the idea of socialism, among other things. But uh, actually, we need more socialism, in my opinion. But that's another story we can discuss at a later date. We also, <laughs> we also should probably uh, practice more preventative, preventive I, care. I agree. Absolutely. Because when you go to a doctor, they never ask you, you know, or plan for prevention. They just look at you after you're sick. That's true. And also, too, look at a lot of people who don't have health insurance. Most of the times, they wait until the last possible minute when an illness sure. becomes so grave. And that's one of the reasons why we, 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 the health, health system is so costly is because people aren't getting preventative medical care. They wait until the last minute. And I don't blame them because it's too expensive. It's too expensive. Yeah, for sure. So uh, and I, don't blame, I don't blame them for it. I blame the system. So people end up going to emergency rooms. Right. Costs mm-hmm. a lot. And then somebody ends up with, with what would have been a preventable problem, all of a sudden ends up they're going to have $1 to $2 million worth of health care expenses because they have to be hospitalized or they have to have surgeries or they have to have transplants or, or all kinds of different things. So, yeah, this system in this country is very backward and inefficient. You know, the, the media seems to be attacking unions right now, uh, especially unionized pension plans. But you uh, respond to that. Well, I'm, I, I'm po- this is a way, of course, of trying to scapegoat workers and trying to defeat workers' gains throughout the past century. Uh, they don't talk about things like, you know, corporate welfare. They don't talk about tax cuts to the rich. Uh, I don't see workers' pensions as, as being the source of our state's funding woes or even local funding woes. I mean, there may be some circumstances where, you know, maybe some uh, uh, person in high public office or, or actually serving as a, um, you know, bureaucrat city staff, like what you see in Bell, for example, enriching themselves is valid criticism. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think what is, if, if, assuming he doesn't uh, get convicted of the crimes he's alleged to have committed, the city manager in Bell uh, would earn, what, about a million dollars a year in his pension? Well, I, I, I don't know if that... I don't know if I would say that you know his pension shouldn't be reduced, but if you're talking about the the wages of state workers, about the I mean, or the pensions of state workers, or the pensions of firefighters or teachers, you know, the the attacks in many respects are ridiculous, and and it's just a way of diverting attention away from the fact that rich people are looting the system blind. They have pensions too. If I mean, if they, I mean, some rich people they have their own version of pension, I guess, from their um, investments. Well, yeah, and, 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 you know, to be honest with you, is, is I, I think that they should be taxed much at a much higher rate. <laughs> so you, uh, you think that the, the pay cut uh, should not be restored for the rich? 
right now. <laughs> which 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 one? There's so many of. Them. <laughs> well, there's too many loopholes to get into. Yeah, there's lots of them. Uh, um, all I can tell you right now is that, you know, in respect to the estate tax. I mean, I think if you want to talk about one example, uh, I think it should be restored. I think there was a debate on that very recently in Congress about whether or not the uh, um, um, estate tax, or so-called death tax, as they call it, the Republicans call it. Now, I, I, I think that the actually the estate tax should be much higher, let's put it that way. I think right now it's at 50, it, if it's restored, to be at 55%, but I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of progressive graduated income tax structures, so. They should probably cut, uh, I mean, not cut, but they should ass, um, apportion, a portion of the tax of the rich to uh, education. I, I think they should redistribute it completely. <laughs> <laughs> so that is socialism. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. How do, um, how do you see it? Would you see yourself... Uh, earlier I had said that uh, Bill Ayers was on the show and said uh, something, but I think what he really said was that I'm as much an anarchist as a Marxist. How would you describe yourself? I would say I'm a pragmatic Marxist. I'm not sectarian. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I mean, if you take a look at what Marx said, it's, it's, you don't have to be a Marxist to, 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 to realize that there are classes and that the rich are benefiting, and while the many are not. So uh, you can even go back, I, I mean, if you want to look at the writings of the so-called founding fathers in this country, they openly talked about class warfare. Mm-hmm. They openly discussed these issues. And, and that's ironically one of the reasons why I, my politics started bringing to the left is because I was reading their writings and began to realize is that they sounded like Marxists, although they were Marxists for the rich uh, in the sense of redistributing wealth upwards. How old but, were you then? Uh, around 17, 18, 19 that's when my uh, my politics started to, uh, or I started becoming politically conscious. Was that, that in uh, the high schools in Anaheim? Or? No, actually, I am what is called an autodidact. And uh, what I mean by that is I'm self-taught. Uh, I used to uh, mm. g- go to university libraries and spend hours reading, uh, including the UCI when I was much younger. UCI... Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Long Beach. One time, I had memorized the floor, the the, the numbers, and the uh, on all the floors where all the books were, the important books. I mean, when I'm, ta- I'm not talking about fiction. Oh, I'm not saying all fiction is bad, <laughs> but nonfiction. Okay, uh, uh, and and you know that's kind of how I started becoming politically conscious. I just read and read and read and photocopied and read and read and read. You you just took it on yourself, or did somebody say go read a book? Took it on myself. Mm. Uh, I, cause it's it's because I like to learn. So you didn't went in, you went learning it in school then. No, uh, in fact, who I am today has a lot less to do with public education. Although I'm not opposed to public education, but a lot to be on my own efforts. Uh, now, I will admit to you that I feel that I did get a very good education while I was attending UCI. It complemented what I'd already known, and I built upon that knowledge. So do you think today's youth, uh, for instance, by just going to Google, would get the same information? You know, interestingly enough, uh, in respect to what you just said there, there's a lot of stuff that you can obtain on the Internet now that at one time I had to go to a university library to obtain. Uh, a lot of books have been published online, sometimes old books, too. So it depends on how motivated the person is, I think. There's a, I mean, we have at our disposal things that 
kings and queens could only hope to dream of a couple centuries ago, or even persons uh, who were intellectuals. You know, their knowledge of the world is very limited. I mean, now there's a lot of knowledge out there. So I, I, I and I must admit, <laughs> I don't go to the university libraries that much because I have access to Google. So because there's a lot of stuff on Google which is in university libraries. Although I do love books, and I think we still should have public. And university libraries. Do you have a library card? Not for UCI, but to be honest with you, is that I have my own personal library. That's been my problem. Is that I, uh, 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 my mom has criticized me for filling up the house with books, so I have to be very uh. careful. But nevertheless, I do have a lot of good books, a lot of very good books in my house. How do you have time to read any? Well, I, I haven't read anything lately. <laughs> <laughs> Been spending too much on my campaign, but um, when I get a chance, I will go back to reading, and uh, there are a lot of interesting books that I have to catch up upon. When uh, when did you start the campaign? Well, basically, I started earlier this year. I basically told I, I told people that if you want me to run for Senate, you need to help me qual- uh, obtain the signatures I need to avoid paying the ballot filing fee. Uh, the reason, excuse me, the reason why I made that a requirement is because I wanted to see how much support, excuse me, sorry, I wanted to see how much support there was for a, a, a U.S. Senate campaign, especially against uh, a boxer and whoever her opponent would be. Well, uh, I was able to obtain all the, uh, um, all the um, signatures I needed to qualify for the ballot, and uh so I didn't have to pay the $3,480 for wow. the filing fee. That's a lot. And I was, well, it is, especially if you don't have a lot of resources. So uh, the campaign, actually, I, I did some, been, been doing some campaigning during the summer, but a lot of people haven't been, weren't paying much attention to the election. So if anything, uh, and I had some other issues that I had to deal with. I wanted to start in August, but unfortunately some other issues preoccupied by time. But basically... This month has been when I've been actively campaigning the most, and I expect to campaign uh, all the way up till Election Day. Do you uh, go door-to-door, or is it mostly uh, through the media, or what? Well, there's several ways I've done it. I've gone to different community groups. Uh, some of the things I've done also is, is that I've had television and radio appearances, just like this one. One of the things I am doing is relying heavily on the Internet. Uh, I can send out 100,000 well, I can send out messages to about 100,000 people in 24 hours. And I also use other social networking sites to spread the message. So uh, it's a little bit of everything because I do, I, I have some, uh, I have some um, dates scheduled for San Diego uh, later, uh, later, possibly later, well, later, actually in October. So I have been doing some travel. It's not like that I've been sitting home tinkering on my computer. But I will admit the Internet has been played a, a role in my campaign, a major role in my campaign. Did you think you would be doing this when you were going to school here? No. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I was coaxed into running into this race. So, um, but, uh, but as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, I'm glad I did. I mean, I'm glad I decided to run for public office. You were coaxed or coached? Coaxed, not coached. I wasn't, at first I wasn't uh, interested. Actually, ironically, some person wanted me to run for against Loretta Sanchez. Ah. And I, I know the district very well. I knew the politics and knew what was going to be happening. I did not want to be between two masses of 
of Mexican, Central American voters and Asian voters, and and, and I, I wasn't just interested in being that involved with it, in that race. I thought it would be actually easier to run in this race, uh, although the politics are complex, they're not as complex as they are in the 47th Congressional District. So I said, you know, okay, I will run if people collect me the number of signatures I need to qualify for the ballot and avoid paying the filing fee. And people did, across the state, too. Uh, so uh, here I am, and I'm glad for it. Do you have an ethnic breakdown of your support? No, unfortunately, I don't have a... Um, I, I can't afford to uh, spend $100,000 to hire a pollster to determine exactly what my breakdown is, but all I'm going to tell you right now is, is that through the Internet, I am appealing to uh, different constituencies on different issues. And so, um, and it's, 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 I'm honest. I'm telling the truth about what I feel. And if they want to vote for me or not, whatever. But the point is, is that uh, uh, I, I've been approaching different groups. And a lot of people know me from the immigrant rights, the Mexican and Central American community. So I expect I, I, I will get support from there. How about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, talking about uh, different issues? Do you support that uh, being abolished or, or... Oh, I favor the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So the more people can go into the military. Well, all I want to tell you right now is, is that I, I, I support the real... or I support the real repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but I'm not in favor of people going to the military, but if that's their choice, you know, that's their decision, that decision that they make. But I personally, you know... Uh, am opposed to people enrolling in the military, especially given that uh, where we send our people here is basically to slaughter other people overseas on behalf of, on benefit of big U.S. oil companies and and other corporations. So, how about um, marriage, gay marriage? Fully support the right of uh, consenting adults to marry whoever they love and cherish. Uh, sexual orientation is irrelevant to me. I remember what we were talking about earlier: victimless crimes. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, it. So are you in support of um, getting rid of laws against pornography? Uh, I, it's an issue, interesting. It's an issue that you haven't. Uh, I haven't really thought about. Mm. I have a question in respect to violent pornography. I, I think right now. I mean, I'm very supportive of free speech. So, sure. uh, and pornography also includes that. So I will admit I haven't been thinking about this issue recently. So, but I, I, I don't really think there's any need to uh, imp, uh, institute any further laws right at this moment. The only thing I do have a question on is uh, violent acts or acts against children. And that's an interesting issue to bring up because there's a lot of, uh, of court cases that are being dealt with, if I recall correctly, about even depicted simulations. So, Well, on that issue, um, we uh, have... To- to bring this to a close. So um, thank you, Dwayne Roberts, for being here and uh, giving us your um, perspective on many political issues. And um, we'll look forward to uh, the disposition of your race. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for inviting me, Dan. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, So that was uh, Dwayne Roberts, uh, candidate for Green Party, and um, there is an announcement, actually. There's a group of people called madashelldoctors.com, and they're doing a town hall on healthcare at the Irvine United Congregational Church at 4915 Alton Parkway in Irvine this coming Saturday, October 2, from 7 to 9. 
uh, refreshments will be provided. So you can look up uh, them on Facebook at Facebook. Uh, the name is Mad DRS, Mad Doctors. That's the name on Facebook. This is Dan Sung signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. We'll be um, breaking for station identification right now. This is Dan Sung signing off for Subversity.